This, this is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission, or mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Ready. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Happy Friday, America. Michael Pelka in for my friend Buck Sexton. Happy to be here. Thrilled to be here, as a matter of fact. I've missed you guys, and we have a lot to talk about. You want to talk about an overabundance of topics that we could go to, both serious and, uh, and insane. There's insanity out there. There is serious topic overload. There's a buffet here of things we could talk about, and we'll try and get to all of it. And I would love to hear from all of you. If you're not familiar with me, Buck sometimes refers to me as the Godfather, not the Godfather from the Mario Puzo books or the movies directed by Coppola, but uh, from the old school. So that kind of Godfather, a little different there, very different thinking. But if you remember me from the Blaze Radio, etc., from the Blaze, then you know who I am. I'm still out there at puropelka.com, but for tonight, I'm here, and I'm back, and I'm happy to be with you. We also have some special guests joining us tonight. Next hour, the one, the only, Shannon Bream is going to join us. We're going to pick her brain on her new book, and uh, we're also going to see if she'll give us a tip as to what she's covering on her incredible show on the Fox News Channel. Buck's been on there a lot lately, I think, so... Much to get to tonight. Uh, there's a, Je- a Jesse Smollett update from a prosecutor in California who's going to talk to us. And uh, did you know that Big Brother via China is officially creeping into millions and millions and millions of cars all around the globe? This is a big deal. China has purchased the Volvo car company, happened a while ago. And in doing so, they have infiltrated one of the better car companies in the world. And they've also realized that that's a way to get inside all of our lives. And I know Buck's talked about the social credit score in China. Social credit score is how China's controlling its people. If you get caught smoking in public on one of the millions of facial recognition cameras in China, you get whatever, 10 demerits. I don't know how they record it, but they they give you a strike. If you're doing it on a platform on the subway area, it's a, a bigger offense. If you're speeding, it's a problem. If you're caught misbehaving in public, they they record all of this. And when your social credit score gets to the point where it is uh, below the expected score, just like your own personal financial credit score is in this country, life becomes more difficult. It becomes harder for you to do things. It becomes impossible for you to live as you would want to live. They can prevent you from buying plane tickets. If your social credit score is not high enough, if you're not a good enough member of the party, The Chinese government can prevent you from flying. They can prevent you from buying a ticket on the high-speed rail. They can relegate you to buying a ticket on the slow, slower-than-molasses train system. So China is doing this. Now, 
that's not going to happen here, is it? We can't have a social credit score happening here. We can't have China-like impositions into our personal lives. Well, we'll talk about this because Volvo is now putting into effect some of the social credit score monitoring that China has. And we'll talk to the, the car coach, Lauren Fix, a little bit later in the show about that. But I'll just bring it up right now. If you own a car in the European Union and you want to drive over a certain speed, they're going to be able to slow you down. They'll be able to actually limit the speed. They'll put limiters like we have in many of the professionally driven trucks in this country that will prevent you from driving over the speed limit. It won't just send a warning to you. It will control your engine. And this is coming on new cars, of course. They're not going to retrofit all the cars. So hang on to that 1965 Mustang you got. It's going to be worth a lot more than you anticipated. This is happening. And if you look at the way we are driving now, I use something called Waze, W-A-Z-E. It's a, an app on your phone that helps you avoid traffic. It's GPS and driving instructions, and it is crowdsourced information on traffic. Maybe the location of speed traps. I'm just saying it might warn you about a half a mile before you approach a speed trap. So you might slow down just in case you were going over the limit. But Waze is collecting all this data and they're going to share it with somebody. And it's getting a little freaky because now when I come out of a store, I get in my car, I instantly get a message that says you're 15 minutes from home. How did they know? How did they know I was going home? So if you don't think that technology is already here Even in in older cars, if you have your device, your smartphone on you, Big Brother is going to know where you are, how far away you are. They're recording your patterns. They know I go to the studio every morning when I go to my other gig at 5.30 in the morning. And they know I tend to leave at 11 o'clock. And then I go home after that. So they're already watching us. And the only way to make sure they're not, is to disconnect. And I don't know if any of us wants to do that. I don't know if any of us thinks that's something we're even capable of doing. Anyway, your thoughts? You want to join the conversation on this? Uh, 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-7825. I know I I, I get all concerned about Big Brother. I get very concerned about the fact that A gigantic growing government could want to take over important parts of our lives. But then again, when I turned 16, getting your driver's license and getting the freedom of being able to drive a car was the most important thing you could do. And now today, the 16 year olds don't seem to be so concerned with it. They're more interested in when they're going to get the latest upgrade on Fortnite or whatever the uh, video game of the day is. They, they believe all the cars are going to drive themselves, and maybe they will, but that's something I still don't want to get rid of. There was nothing more freeing than being able to leave your parents' house, get in a car, even if you had to borrow it from mom and dad, and drive away and drive to some place that wasn't home to get 
freedom. And now I fear that all that's going to go away. And these same 16-year-olds who don't care about uh, getting a driver's license and being able to drive, this same group of people is who Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats want to give the right to vote to. They want to allow them to pick a president because they're going to pick a president who wants all the freedoms and give us all the free stuff. It's, it's a little frightening. It is a little frightening, and I've taken myself way out of the direction I wanted to go today because there is so much happening today. I don't know if we talked about this, but uh, John Bolton has warned Russia on the military presence in Venezuela. Last weekend and early this week, there were several planes from Russia that landed in Caracas and delivered tanks, troops, and military advisors to Venezuela. Now, it's not an overwhelming military force that showed up, but let's just say it's a couple hundred Russian soldiers and a few tanks and some military advisors. Now, why would, would Venezuela need military advisors and, I don't know, a couple hundred soldiers and some tanks? They have a military. Maybe, maybe it's a deal. Maybe it's a deal. And the president said uh, two days ago when he was meeting with the opposition leader, the declared president of Venezuela's wife, Gaeta's wife, in the White House, he said, Russia's got to get out. And the press said, well, how how are they going to get out, sir? And he said, well, everything's on the table. You'll see. You'll see. But then I started thinking, why, why, why is Russia in Venezuela? Russia's in Venezuela for one reason and one reason only. And, and we need to pay attention here. Why would Venezuela allow Russian soldiers and military equipment, just a small little bit of it, into the country? Maduro, the dictator Maduro, would not allow caravans of food into the country, of medicine into the country. Caracas is going back to the Middle Ages as the power outages continue in that that once great capital city. It's all going the wrong direction. So why, why, why does Maduro have Russians and tanks and military advisors? They're now his private security team. Why would Russia offer that? Oh, I don't know, because of the gooey dinosaur juice that exists between uh, the, the Earth's surface and the ground underneath Venezuela. Venezuela has oil reserves beyond anyone's real expectations or knowledge. Venezuela has more oil underground, I believe, than Saudi Arabia. And Russia loves to have oil because oil equals power. And if we don't do something about what's going on in Venezuela, we're going to have it's it's kind of like this proxy war that's going on there. The interesting thing here, and perhaps the president can maybe make something happen here. The interesting thing in all of this is China doesn't like Russia being in Venezuela either because China, with all its people, needs that oil, too. Isn't this an interesting little three-level chess match? We shall see where this goes. Any thoughts on any of this, all of this, none of this? Trust me, we've got a lot to get to tonight. 
Michael Pelka in for my buddy Buck Sexton on the Buck Sexton Show. You can join the conversation, 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-7825. Come on back. Michael Pelka in for my friend Buck Sexton, and I'm sitting here red-faced as John and the guys in the studio are saying, you know, um, you read the phone number wrong, dummy. The dummy was implied. They didn't call me a dummy. But when I said the phone number, if you want to reach out to the show, is 844-900-BUCK. And then for the people who don't have the alphanumeric thing down, I said the number is uh, 844-900. And I didn't say the right number. The right number is 2825. If you go to your phone and look at your phone, alphanumerically, BUCK is 2825. (laughs) So I'm looking going, geez, we didn't get a call. Yeah, you read the wrong number there cheesecake so if you guys want to join the conversation we have a lot to talk about tonight as i mentioned we're going to get an update and uh answer some questions on the jussie smollett thing in chicago which is so embarrassing to me because i am chicago born chicago is my hometown i live there i still visit there regularly i have family there and to see this mess in chicago I have to tell you, for the first time in my life, I agreed with Rahm Emanuel when he called out what was done, when he he actually chastised publicly the district attorney's office and the prosecutors who dropped the case. But we'll pick the brains of a California prosecutor, Wendy Patrick, who you may or may not have seen. She's been all over the news, been all over Fox stations. And uh, we'll ask her about the Jussie Smollett story because it's growing and growing. I know it's been quiet for a couple of days, but I think there's so much more behind this. Now, last night, the president spoke to a full house with an overflow crowd in Michigan. And it was a campaign event. No doubt about it. And uh, I thought it was interesting because Dana Perino on the five had some advice for the president, and I think he should listen to Dana Perino. Ms. Perino said that Donald Trump should get out of Washington as much as he can right now, as much as possible, and be with the people who got him elected and the people who he's going to need come 2020, come the next election. And I agree with that. I think he's so good when he's with people. And he's so spot on. And all you heard today, there's one clip from last night that was overplayed and overblown. And I think it's out of the hour, what was it, an hour and 30 minutes, just over an hour and 30 minutes, the president spoke last night. He used a little teleprompter. Most of it was Donald Trump. And he connected with that audience as he does every time he's with his base. But you don't hear the important things. Like you didn't hear... You didn't hear this really anywhere in mainstream media. You did not hear Donald Trump from his Michigan rally saying this. We believe that children should be taught to love our country, to honor our history, to be proud, to be happy, to love, and always to respect our great American flag. Now, aside from that weird pronunciation at the end of it, where he says, great American flag, I think he does that to get your attention. That's his, his speech pattern. 
But what is wrong with that? That truly is what should be indoctrinating our children is all about. That's what we should be giving these kids. The understanding of how great America is, what a great opportunity America is. But no, they chose to focus on the other parts of the speech. The president talked about loving God. The president talked about respecting life and not voting for people who are pro-infanticide. But the one moment, the the 6.7 seconds of the speech last night that the mainstream media has played over and over, and CNN could not wait to get in in the morning and play it without bleeping it. You know, you remember the S-hole comment that the president made years ago on CNN? All its anchors kept saying, oh, we're going to be able to say that, right? We can curse on TV, right? Oh, how excited they were, like a bunch of seven-year-olds running into their parents' dinner party and saying the word penis out loud so all the adults would laugh. They're so idiotic. It's so maddening. But this is the seven seconds, with the appropriate bleeping, of what I believe was an ad lib last night. The Democrats have to now decide whether they will continue defrauding the public with ridiculous bull. Yeah. I wonder if that was on the teleprompter like that. Or did they did they uh, edit it down or, or put uh, Bravo Sierra instead of whatever else the president said? You know what he said. I know what he said. I don't have a problem with that. My life is not going to end. My world is not going to stop because the president used the Bravo Sierra term in front of an audience of his supporters. Oh, heaven forfend. It's like they've never heard cursing. Get on a subway at three o'clock in New York City when the schools are letting out and the kids are going home and duck away from the F-bombs. Try. I double dog dare you. It's crazy, people. It really is crazy. And uh, hopefully we'll lend uh, clarity to that. All right, David's on hold. We're going to get to you, David. We're also going to get to uh, our friend, Dr. Wendy Patrick, just around the corner here and uh, cover so much tonight on the Buck Sexton Show. So come on back, people. Come on back. Why pay your hard-earned money to join an organization that fought tooth and nail for a government-run healthcare system? One that scripted portions of White House speeches behind closed doors to ensure the passage of the Affordable Care Act. The organization that stood against tax cuts for middle-class Americans and small business owners. You know, that's AARP. Join AMAC instead, the conservative alternative. AMAC offers the same kinds of money-saving benefits of AARP without the liberal agenda. Become an AMAC member right now at amac.us slash buck. AMAC fights for your values, protecting our borders by enforcing common sense immigration laws, supporting small business, and standing up for your individual God-given freedoms. AMAC is the way to go. Stand with AMAC as they fight the good fight by becoming a member today. The benefits are great, but the cause is even greater. Join right now at amac.us slash buck. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S slash buck. AMAC is better, better for you, better for America. Well, it's not Buck, but it's his buddy, Michael Pelka, the godfather here with you on the Buck Sexton Show on this Friday evening. And what's been an incredible, incredible last week, starting with last Friday and the drop of the Mueller report at the uh, Department of Justice handed to the attorney general. And then Sunday, we got the four pages 
And then Monday, we saw the weekend ratings for MSNBC and CNN that were swirling the toilet and going down, down, down. And then Monday happened, and we had some craziness. Something that shocked me and made me just scratch my head and say, what? And I'm talking about the Chicago story with the dropping of all 16 charges against Jussie Smollett the actor from Empire, and the subsequent reaction from so many in the mainstream media and then from the mayor of Chicago, Rahm Emanuel. I found myself, believe it or not, agreeing with Rahm Emanuel for the first time in my life because I couldn't believe it. So I called a friend of mine, somebody who is a lawyer, who is a prosecutor, who writes on uh, much of this stuff and also speaks publicly about the law, her name is Wendy Patrick. WendyPatrickPhD.com is where you find out more about her. You've probably seen her on TV or heard her on radio. She's been on this show with me in the past. And uh, I, I asked Wendy to stop in with us this evening because I just need to understand this even further. Wendy Patrick, welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. Thanks, Mike. It's always a pleasure to join you. Well, I'm, I'm happy you're here because... You and I talked off air a couple days ago, and you said this isn't really that unusual, this kind of action by uh, a prosecutor's office, district attorney's office. This isn't really that strange? In a sense, and, and let me explain, in a sense it is not in, enormously unusual to have some kind of a deferred prosecution, to have lower-level crimes disposed of other than by way of jury trial. What makes this case unique is the fact that it's Jesse Smollett. And we want to make sure that Lady Justice is blind and that nobody gets a special deal because of who they are. That has been the focus in this case. We have watched Jesse go from victim to villain to vindication now, all of a sudden on Monday, a move which apparently took the chief of police, the mayor, by such surprise that they both came out with that, with that fiery press conference that we all watched on Monday. Now, boy, you talk about the gift that keeps on giving. As if we didn't have enough to talk about, now we see that the city is suing Jussie for the 130 grand that they spent chasing down leads they say were false in an attempt to corroborate his story, which, of course, they never could. It ended up all arrows pointed in the other direction. So it's, it's even more interesting now, Mike, because now we have an issue of whether or not he can be uh, prosecuted under a city ordinance which or prosecuted civilly. Of course, what that means is a lower standard of proof, and we really often say sued civilly because it's just a preponderance of the evidence. But he is not clear. I suppose that is the message from Chicago from his fans around the globe and from the court of public opinion, where, of course, you and I know he's already been convicted. Yeah, he's guilty in the court of public opinion, especially <laughs> if you're a geek like me and you read through the uh, files that the Chicago Police Department released later that evening on too. Monday. I did, too, Mike. I read the same thing you did. We both geeked out on it, no doubt. <laughs> Remarkable stuff. But here are my other questions, Wendy. I, th I think this is interesting, and it's always good to know that uh, Chicago probably has some recourse here and that in a, um, a civil proceeding, not a criminal proceeding, as you said, the standard of guilt is lower with that term preponderance of evidence. It's just got to kind of feel like more than not 
that he was guilty and he could get smacked with that. I don't know if Illinois has or Chicago has court costs because it could get more expensive for Jesse if he is, in fact, found guilty on that side. But here's the other question, and you may not know this. That letter that was sent to the production facility, the studio in Chicago where Empire was was headquartered, the letter that had the white powder in it turned out to be benign, nothing big. The letter that threatened Jussie Smollett that appeared to be race-based and had some uh, homophobic slurs on it as well. If that turns out to have been created by Jussie Smollett and mailed by Jussie Smollett, is there a federal crime here that could ramp up as well? Yes, and that actually is what's being investigated. And, you know, that's what the president tweeted about the other day is, he may be out of the clear statewide, but of course we know the city's going after him under that city ordinance, and the FBI is looking into him for mail fraud for sending that false letter to himself. So he is certainly not in the clear. You know, and you and I talked on Monday about he may have been vindicated, quote unquote, but he wasn't exonerated. Remember, even the prosecutor's office said when asked, "Do you think he's innocent?" They said no. So the feds are looking at them to see if they can make something out of that case federally. And they could absolutely, if they chose to, charge him with a crime there. But here is the issue with crimes that involve fraud. The penalty is often fines, not handcuffs. And people are so livid, especially those that know uh, others that have actually been legitimate hate crime victims that worry that they will now be afraid to come forward because they're afraid they won't be believed because of the Jesse Smollett case. So the ramifications, even if the feds do go after them for, for mail fraud or for, you know, however they want to charge uh, sending that false letter, the ramifications and the ripple effect is far larger than simply what's going to happen to him criminally. It's what this has done socially, and that is one of the reasons that this just isn't going away anytime soon. And I have long predicted that even though Hollywood is very forgiving, this may have long-term damage on his marketability. The brand management, the damage control that would be involved in attempting to repair his image, it's never going to happen without a public apology, and that does not appear to be forthcoming. Wow, that's a great analysis there. We're talking to Wendy Patrick. She's a prosecutor, an attorney, an author, someday I respect opinion on the law, talking about whether or not Jussie Smollett, even though if he gets caught up in something, I, I hate to play the if true thing, but if he ends up being prosecuted for writing a, a letter that used the postal system, and that's a federal crime, it's not going to involve uh, Jussie being uh, handcuffed and frog marched out of his home and into a courtroom. And, and people who are getting all fired up about that, that want that, just check yourself for a minute. Because remember how we laughed at the left and the media who railed against Donald Trump and kept saying, I can't wait. I can't wait for him to be handcuffed and let out of the White House and for Jared and Ivanka to be handcuffed. Yeah, it's the same kind of anger. And so while we laughed at them, understand that people are laughing at us. The law is the law. And we need to let the law be enforced as as it's meant to be, which I guess is the answer. But you, you bring up the, uh, the residual effect this will have on his residuals, I guess is what I'm looking at. It, it already appears that Empire is coming back for another season but uh, Inside Money says no Jussie on the show. I wonder how they get rid of his character. 
know? Well, yeah. I mean, what do they like? Have somebody else play the character, or they write them out? I mean, it's such an interesting, uh, it's such an interesting question. You know, it, you just feel so bad for this entire process. I mean, there, there's just so many people that have been victimized by this allegedly false claim. And I mean, I say that because I don't know anybody that believes that it actually happened, only because the investigation was so thorough. As a prosecutor, you know, you and I have talked about this before, the amount of time, talent, and resources that were diverted to chase down these leads when they could have been used more, you know, more effectively fighting crime. I mean, Chicago's got a terrible crime problem. I mean, every big city does. Those hours lost can never be repaid unless... Jesse agrees to fork over the 130 grand, which he won't because that would be an admission of guilt. So the, really the balls in the court of the city to see if they're actually going to follow through with that investigation. But the social damage is already done and the political damage is already done. What Hollywood is going to do, as you phrased your very insightful question, is I would say anybody's guess, but I think we can probably guess they're not going to re-embrace Jesse with open arms. He may have to find another position if he wants to continue to work in that town. Wow. It's hard to go from $70,000 an episode to uh, we need somebody to carry the coffee into the craft services table. Oh, that could hurt. Uh, Or he apologizes, Mike. He apologizes if he did this. And he is, uh, he's, uh, he's forgiven. We are a culture of forgiveness. If he apologizes, he's forgiven. He could actually make a comeback. Why do I say that? We've seen other celebrities do it. Huh. So but it would that that's something he might have to strategize with his lawyers if they decide to go that route. That would be one way to make a comeback, maybe even keep his character. I don't know. I'm the eternal optimist. I mean, forgiveness is, is extending grace, and that's what we do as human beings, don't we? We extend grace. We understand, we forgive. If somebody is contrite, expresses remorse, and expresses an apology. Well, that's the advice I would give him, and that's the advice from uh, Wendy Patrick, uh, or at least uh, an explanation of what Jussie might do. Wendy Patrick, thank you so much, my friend. Appreciate you being there. Love the clarity, and I I love the compassion, because without it, we're just animals, and we need, to, yeah. we need to latch on to the compassion. So thank you, my friend. Amen. Always love to mix it up. Thanks, Mike. And there she goes. I, I, I'm a big fan of Wendy's stuff, so if you want to know what she's up to, wendypatrickphd.com. Uh, this is going to be one to watch. Uh, this guy is probably going to be radioactive in Hollywood for a while until he does what Wendy suggested he do. I think I have time to uh, grab a quick call before we go to break. Larry is on the phone in Ohio. Larry, uh, welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. I'm sorry I had you holding on, but, you know, I only get so much time with the prosecutor. I got to get her when I can. Hey, yeah, you got paid by the hour. That's right. You're absolutely right. And in most attorneys, you get that quarter hour and you got to maximize it. So (laughs) Buck was down at the border. my call. I well, heard, you're uh, you're welcome, sir. You know, I, I read Buck's Facebook post yesterday about visiting the border, and he went to a section yeah. of the border that I also visited during uh, 2014 in the summer when we had that big wave come through. And he said he watched the border guards, the Border Patrol, arrest two people coming in, and it turns out they were from Cuba. Yeah. So uh, you have a thought on the border and the president? Well, uh, yeah, uh, Mike, I heard uh, the last couple of days that the president <coughs> has uh, 
indicated he may shut down the uh, border between us and Mexico, which I agree with him. But I, I think if he does, it should be a complete shutdown, not just for illegal immigrants, for uh, air traffic, train traffic, and most of all, mail service. There's millions of dollars mailed from U.S. Uh, immig- uh, illegal immigrants to their homes in Mexico. You're right. I would, sh- I would shut it down completely. Take a division of troops from Fort Hood, a division of Marines from Camp Pendleton, and shut that thing down completely and hit them right in the belly, mainly financially, no banking transactions. Well, that that brings, Larry, I'm up against a little bit of a wall here. You bring up a really radical, but, you know, it's not implausible solution. You just have to make sure you're not preventing medicine or vital resources from getting back and forth. And it's one I'm sure the administration is investigating. Uh, We've got more to talk about today, a lot more to talk about. I found out about Buck's gripe on uh, robocalls, and we all get them. I've had a bunch. But I reached out to the FCC and talked to the big man, Ajit Pai, about it. We'll get to that tonight. You want to call in and join the conversation, 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825 on the Buck Sexton Show. Michael Pelka in for Buck Sexton on this Friday night. And wow, the time is rocking and flying I'm excited about that. But there's so much more going on. We were talking briefly about the border just before uh, the break. And uh, there is great concern at the border now, not just because we're currently overwhelmed. Our uh, border patrol is overwhelmed and they've said it. They've told the president, the uh, Department of Homeland Security is saying, hey, Mr. President, we're in deep trouble here. We got big problems. And now there is a caravan approaching us that is the biggest caravan ever. So what are we going to do? What are we going to do, Mr. President? Maybe the answer is to temporarily close the border. Maybe, maybe not. We'll discuss. Michael Pelka on the Buck Sexton Show. Uh, Coming up next hour, I forgot to tell you. Coming up next hour, Buck was griping about... Uh, all the robocalls he gets on his phone. I get them too. You get them too. So I reached out to Ajit Pai at the FCC. Yeah, the head guy. And he talked to me about it. I'll tell you what he's doing. I'll let him tell you what he's doing. And uh, you've seen Buck on TV with Shannon Bream on Fox. One of my favorite people in the whole wide world is Shannon Bream. Well, I reached out to Shannon and said, hey, Buck's been on your show. Why don't you come on Buck's show with me? So next hour, my friend, my buddy, Fox anchor Shannon Bream will join us. And you're welcome too. 844-900-BUCK. 844-900-2825. The Buck Sexton Show with Michael Pelka sitting in. Come on back. Michael Pelka here for Buck Sexton on this Friday night. Happy to be here. Thrilled to be here. 
my friend Buck taking a day out. He's been working like a dog. He's been everywhere. And he got a little testy, I know, over the robocalls. I'll play for you my conversation with uh, the FCC chief, Ajit Pai, because I, I was getting the same number of calls. It's driving me nuts. And, and I reached out and said, you got to be doing something. Somebody in Washington, now that we've kind of got control of the FCC, somebody's got to be doing something. So we'll talk with Ajit Pai shortly, or you'll hear my conversation with him. You can't talk to him. Well, maybe you can. Maybe you're a neighbor. Anyway, if you want to discuss anything with me on the program tonight, 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. I just talked with a, a buddy of mine who's listening in Dallas, happens to be a movie critic, and uh, checked in in the break and said, you know, Dumbo, you may not want to bother with Dumbo. And I'm kind of bummed about this because new movie coming out, Tim Burton directing a live action version of Dumbo with computerization. Of course, you don't have flying elephants, but you have flying animated elephants that look like real elephants. And uh, Danny DeVito sent the whole thing. Said, you may want to skip this one. And the review that my reviewer friend quoted was from a colleague who said, the best way to understand Dumbo, which is two hours and 10 minutes long. How many kids are going to sit through a two hour and 10 minute movie? I feel bad for the parents who bring a, a bunch of kids to see a movie, which PG-13, which means it's probably got some a little bit of action in it. Uh, a two hour and 10 minute movie, parents with kids. How many times are they going to have to get up and leave? Go to the bathroom. Two hours and 10 minutes. That's just insensitive movie studio. You're not being smart for your target audience. But Dumbo, I saw I saw that the trailer and I was so excited because I love Tim Burton movies. And now I'm thinking, I can't see this. I can't see it. If you've seen it already, if you went out at lunch and you want to correct this review, which says more junk, less trunk. And there apparently are some global things in there, global governmental things and environmental stuff. And uh, it's, it's also putting in the opinion, the anti-circus opinion. Nobody wants to see animals abused, but we don't want to see it in a Disney classic. My buddy said, if you want to see uh, a circus movie, go rent that one from a few year, years ago. I think it had Hugh Jackman in it. I didn't see it, but uh, that's out there. Also coming up this hour, uh, bottom of the hour, we're going to talk with Shannon Bream from Fox News. She has a book coming out, and I am such a fan of Shannon Bream. I, I, love, I have a lot of good friends at Fox, and some of them are very powerful and opinionated, and they drive a lot of their work based on opinion. Shannon Bream is one of the pure journalists out there, and I think very respectful. So I'm excited to talk to her this hour, and we will get into uh, a discussion with her about a few things. Talk about the president, too. I want, want to know what she feels about what he's up to, especially the rally that we saw uh, last night in Michigan. Um, there's a big headline this evening on Drudge that says federal spending the highest in a decade. And that's true. We're spending a lot of money. And that's one of those areas I wish we would get our 
all of our politicians to control. We don't have a revenue problem. We're bringing in revenue. Donald Trump's economy is bringing in tax money, corporate tax money, because sales are up, even though they cut the corporate tax rate. Guess what? Corporations can get more efficient and they sell more stuff and we're doing better in bringing in revenue. But the revenue is not the problem. The problem is spending. If you spend more than you make, you're going to have a problem. So anybody who's got issues with the deficit going up, you have to look at federal spending and federal spending the highest in a decade. And I think we got to be honest about it. We have to be honest with our politicians. If they're spending too much money, we need them to dial it back. We need them to calm down with the spending. But guess who controls the spending right now? Oh, gee, I wonder who. I wonder who. Nancy Pelosi. Don't get me started, people. Don't get me started. Now, I asked a question on Monday when uh, we were talking about things. I asked a question following the release of the, uh, the Mueller report to the Department of Justice and to the Attorney General and his four page summary which basically told us there was no collusion. And the good news there, there was no American involved in the Russian attempts to mess with our election. No American, which is great news for everybody. And why we're not cheering that after all that time, I don't know. But you've got um, Adam Schiff, whose name I really have a hard time saying without turning it into something else. Adam Schiff Demanding Nancy Pelosi, demanding Chuck Schumer, demanding Jerry Nadler, demanding that April 2nd, they want that report, little mister. They're demanding that report and all the underlying evidence. And now we're hearing that uh, maybe mid-April we will get the report. Maybe mid-April. I wonder if when you hand over the report, you'll also get an apology to the president. We should make that contingent upon the delivery of the report. You want to copy the report? If you call the president a Russian asset, you you have to uh, apologize first. And I think an apology is due. I think an apology is definitely due. And the first thing I thought of on Sunday when the report and the summary converged on the media and caused the left side of the media to go apoplectic, I thought... 675 days and 40 million dollars 675 days and 40 million dollars and untold media time billions in media time was spent attacking the president and he attacked back there's no no harm in protecting yourself but it reminded me of a song from rent that big song uh 5,500 whatever minutes uh i i I don't know the, the musical. I only know the song because you've heard it a million times. And so a buddy of mine and I wrote and produced a little parody song from Rent and uh, wanted to share it with you here. It's called What About Trump? The Apology. Because we believe the president deserves an apology for the 675 days and $40 million that you and I paid for. So let me share it with you right here. 
It was a complete and total exoneration. The president is the president of all Americans, and he's focused on doing what is best for our country. The media saying the most horrible things about this president. Where was the apology? 675 days and 40 million dollars. 675 days and nothing was found. 675 days and 40 million dollars. How do you measure? From Comey to Brennan to Strokin to Rod Rosenstein, Obama, McCabe, and Christopher Steele. 675 days and 40 million dollars. How do you measure? Measure a And I never want this country to go through that again, that kind of abuse of power with what appears to be a deep state conspiracy that was forced on us by the mainstream media's left side and by many inside the government. You know, if Saturday Night Live can go after the president and parody the president, I think we should be allowed to go after the mainstream media and parody them. I hope you appreciated our little effort there. It's not commercially available. It's a parody. It's meant to mock the world and what's going on. And I hope uh, you can find it on uh, puropelka.com. It's our musical response to that. But uh, Mr. President, I'm with you. There's no apology coming. But I think if if somebody would apologize, then when uh, Robert Barr turns over the copies of the report, Once you apologize, you get a copy. Once you apologize, you get a copy. (laughs) I think that's going to be a very short line from the from CNN and MSNBC. I'd love to see Rachel Maddow apologizing and then getting her copy of the report. You get a code that you can see it with. Michael Pelka sitting in for Buck Sexton on this Friday night. Still to come, you're going to hear what the uh, the chairman of the FCC had to say when we asked him about Buck's problem with robocalls, and the one, the only, Shannon Bream from Fox News joins us in just a little bit on the Buck Sexton Show. Mike Opelka here on a Friday night on the Buck Sexton Show, enjoying this audience. Always love this audience. You guys are smart, and you keep me on track, and you bring up topics that we need to delve into a little bit further. Last hour, we talked with attorney prosecutor Wendy Patrick, and she gave us an update on the Jesse Smollett story and what could be coming down the pike for Jesse because he's not free. He's not skipping down the road going, yeehaw. And he also doesn't have a job. His high paid gig is kind of gone. But uh, there may be more coming for Jesse, and 
one of our friends in Alabama. The name written here on my call screen says Enix. So I, I want to make sure we're getting the name right. Enix says Jesse needs to be charged with something else. Enix, am I getting your name correctly? It's pronounced Enix, like uh, E in front of Nick. Oh, Enix. Yes, sir. Well, welcome, Enix. What part of uh, Alabama? Mobile, Alabama, down on the coast. One of the greatest places in the world. Is Wenzel's Oyster Bar still there? Ooh, yes, sir. I have to tell you, people, if you are ever near Mobile, Alabama, you have to experience something on the scale of Wenzel's Oyster Bar. Giant operation. They had a billboard that drew me in. It said, fried, stewed, or nude. And you could get oysters just about any way. I hope it's still great. Oh, it is. Absolutely. Well, that's good. And good people in Alabama, Enoch. I, I know that. But do you think Jussie Smollett deserves to be charged with something else? Well, I, I had a question. I didn't know if the crime of a hate crime was only constituted with uh, violence. Uh, Wikipedia says that it's anything targeting a certain group of people that belong in a, you know, organization or, or if you target a group of people based on their beliefs. So under that premise, it's his hoax was a hate crime towards conservatives. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting uh, interpretation. It might be a bit of a stretch, a slight reach. But but let's look at that. I don't think hate crimes require violence. You can bully somebody. You can do vandalism against someone's property and destroy property. And if you do it with uh, racial intent or that kind of hatred in your heart, that seems to me to be a hate crime. But in the case of Jussie Smollett, let's consider that maybe, and and the one thing that keeps coming up is, what this um, what this hoax has done to real victims of hate crimes, what this hoax has done to people who've been victimized because of their sexual orientation or because of their skin color and how it's going to hurt those folks and, and their cases for getting justice. And I think that therein lies the real problem with what Jesse Smollett did. He diminished the the actual crimes against real victims by doing this. But what I think this is, and now maybe we need a new law here, Enoch. Maybe we've come up on something. Could there be a self-hate crime? Because it seems to me that Jesse Smollett is a self-hater. That he did this whole thing. Well, we know why he did it. He wanted to raise his stature at work and make this uh, turn into his social currency, his popularity. And he wanted to convert that into bigger stardom. It wasn't enough he was getting 70 grand a week or whatever it was, somewhere between 50 and 100 grand a week. So I, I don't know. I think he's got a big, tough road ahead of him because he's now, he was given the opportunity to be a star. And it wasn't enough for him quickly enough. And he had to try and go in and make something else out of it. So I think he's going to pay for this for a long, long time. It, were, were you a fan of the show? Not so much. I don't watch a lot of TV, to be honest. I um, I watch movies, but uh, I have out, outside interests, work, hobbies, outdoor activities. 
Yeah, I'm I'm addicted to golf, much to uh, my wife's dismay. But if it's warm enough for me to be out there and playing, even if I'm wearing gloves and a scarf and a big jacket, I'm doing it. And I think everybody should find time to get away from work and or a lot of the politics and the news and broaden your perspective. You'll meet new people. But Enoch, if I were in the neighborhood, I'd meet you at the bar and we'd have a, a dozen oysters and a beer. But it's going to have to be another night, my friend. Well, if you're in, do visit Wenzel again. Try the West Indy salad. You won't be disappointed. The West Indy salad. So now we've got food recommendations. I love it. Thank you, sir. You have a great evening. If you want to join the conversation like Enoch, you can. 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. Still to come, just around the corner, as a matter of fact. Uh, somebody I call friend, and I've only talked to her in person a couple of times, but every time I reach out to her on social media directly, she writes back, and I know that personally she is one of the gems in, in our world. She's a, a decent person in working in the crazy business we call show. She is a journalist. Her name is uh, Shannon Bream, and she's on Fox Monday through Friday in, a, in an anchor role on a show that gets, I think, needs to get a lot more love. And so we're going to start with that tonight. When we come back, we're going to talk to Shannon. We're going to talk about her book. We're going to talk about the president. We're going to talk about what what Robert Barr has told us about. And we'll dive. We still have to get to the FCC chair and what he said about Buck's problem with robocalls. I'll play you that answer coming up too on the Buck Sexton show. Well, that's not exactly a hundred percent true. The Buck has stopped for today and I'm here. Michael Pelka sitting in for my good friend, Buck Sexton, on the Buck Sexton Show on this Friday evening. Happy to be here. Thrilled to be here. And I have to admit, I'm just a little bullient at the moment. I have a, a news crush on our next guest. And uh, she's somebody I, I appreciate the work she does. But because I've met her personally, and I know what kind of person she is, I just like Shannon Bream. And uh, you you know her from Fox and watching her at night on uh, Fox News night, every single night, Monday through Friday. But I get to say, hello, friend. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. Oh, Mike, you know the feeling is more than mutual. I am honored to be with you. Well, you're, you do so much in the world of news that I, I marvel at because so many times we who work in the talk field or even in the news field get caught up with a lot of the divisiveness and a lot of the lack of congeniality. And I think you can approach any subject with any person on any side and make it civil. And I really respect that. So I've, I've listened to you interview people from left and right, and I mean really far left, and everybody seems to leave happy or at least feeling like they got respected. So thank you for that. Mike, you know, I feel that, you know, it's sometimes fun to just let them go when they get heated and they're back and forth. It's kind of entertaining. But my goal is really that people hear both sides or multiple sides if there are, because that's where your viewers learn something and get information. And that's what we're supposed to be about. Yeah, I agree. We're supposed to be. We don't always get there, but we're supposed to be. Now, before we get into some of the newsy stuff, 
I have to tell you, I'm going to call the attorney general's office and I'm going to call Nancy Pelosi and Adam Schiff and uh, what's his name? Nadler out from Long Island. And we're all going to demand together that finding the bright side is released before May 14th. We cannot wait. We need full transparency on the book. Why can't we get your new book before May 14th? That, as you know, publishers pick a date, and that's the date. There are a few copies floating around out there uh, that have flipped through uh, the gates of restriction. So there's a little bit out there, and uh, I'd be happy to send one to you. Oh, good. So I can you know, send it and all talk. There are secrets and everything in it. Uh, uh, yeah, I know. I'll talk about little hints to whet people's appetites. So what... What is the book, Finding the Bright Side, The Art of Chasing What Matters from Shannon Bream? What are we looking at here? You know what? It really stemmed from I would write a story occasionally on my Facebook page about my family or something happened. Um, I lost my wedding ring at one point for months, and I told the story on Facebook of how I found it after I had cried my eyes out and looked everywhere and finally gave up on it. And it was such a fun, emotional, happy time for me when I found it, and I just went and poured out this story on Facebook. And I mean, that's really was kind of the start of this. I had a publisher come to me a couple years ago and said, we like your stories. We like how you connect with people, and we'd like you to write a book. And I thought, I don't know how to write a book. I'm not an author. And I said, well, how does this work? Do you match me up with somebody? And they said, no, no. We like your voice. It's a little corny. (laughs) It's really you. And that's what we want you to do, to tell stories about your life. And I said, well, for me, really, my faith is the biggest cornerstone of my whole life. And if I can weave that through the book, and it's a big part of it, then I'd love to do it. And they said, great. So um, it's, there is definitely some newsy stuff in there, some behind the scenes um, at the Supreme Court, um, the first time I interviewed the president. I mean, so there are newsy things there, but there are also things I think everybody can relate to, some really high highs and really low lows. I mean, terrible points in my life. And kind of how I leaned on my faith and my family, my husband, um, to get through that. And I, I hope that it'll encourage people who find themselves in a really tough spot or just make them laugh, because I make fun of myself a lot in the book, too. Well, I, I'm still trying to get over the fact that your your wedding ring was lost for, what, two months, you said? No, it was about six months. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? I, I just can imagine, had I lost my wedding ring, how... <laughs> how my wife would react and what, how many times that would come up over the course of six months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my husband, I was so scared and I wrote in the story about how I didn't want to tell him because I was personally so heartbroken that I could do something so stupid, something that was, listen, it's not worth a lot of money, but it was worth everything to me with sentimental value. Um, and I was so scared. But when I finally got my courage together after a couple of weeks to say to him, I can't find it. I was sobbing my eyes out, and he was like, it's okay, it's a ring, it doesn't um, represent, you know, it's not our actual marriage. It is." Hang, hang on one second, Shannon, we're getting a real weird connection. Can we put you on hold for a second and just reconnect real quickly? Okay, we're going to try that. Shannon Bream is telling these incredible stories about her new book, and I want to get into her show tonight, too. So Finding the Bright Side is her book, The Art of Chasing What Matters. And obviously, when she talks about her wedding ring, it's a big deal. And uh, John and the crew will tell me, I guess, when we get her back on the on the horn here, it sounded like she was calling from a cave somewhere. And there were all kinds of uh, static interferences. And I, I need to pick Shannon's brain on a couple of things here. So um, a little background. 
on Shannon Bream and Mike Opelka. We met on Amtrak. For those of you who know my history from the Blaze and the Blaze.com and the Blaze Radio, I, I used to uh, ride the Amtrak a couple times a week, and I ended up riding the train with Shannon and uh, back and forth to New York once from D.C., and we had a great conversation, and that's where it started, and thankfully she's back with us. I didn't want to miss that story of your husband's reaction to the ring because it's so powerful. Well, I was so scared to tell him, and I was so mad at myself and just really heartbroken over it, but I finally, after a couple weeks, thought, I can't (laughs) hide this anymore. I'm going to have to tell him I can't find my ring and I was crying my eyes out, and I said to him, and, and he was just, you know, that was just a representation of our vows. It's not our actual marriage. It's okay. It's just a thing, and it's all right. We'll get you a new one. And um, it was such a huge relief to me and weight off my shoulders. Now, I was still really sad, and every time I thought about it, I got kind of choked up. Um, but I'd finally sort of made peace with it, like, you know what? And I even prayed. I said, you know what, Lord, if I've left it in a hotel room somewhere, because I've been traveling a lot with the campaigns and stuff, I said, I called every hotel, I tried everywhere. I said, you know what, if somebody else found it or it ended up in a pawn shop somewhere, I really hope that it will make someone else happy and it'll start a great marriage for them. And so I just kind of had to let it go. And the day that I found it, I just was so overwhelmed and excited. And I never take it off now because I don't ever want to lose it again. Well, that's good. No spoilers. It's probably in the book where you found it. So we'll hold off. We don't want to give that one up. Shannon Bream is on the phone with us. Shannon on Nightly on Fox News, Fox News Night. And uh, Shannon, I, you know, I do mornings usually, so I miss you. But I get up and I listen at three o'clock when they replay it, which is it's like a bonus for me. I get extra (laughs) Shannon. Uh, What's what's happening tonight on the show? Well, of course, we're going to talk about this back and forth about the bar report. And, you know, Democrats had demanded we need the whole thing. Nothing redacted by April 2nd, which is next week. Um, Barr, who is very professional and until he became attorney general, was really well respected by both sides, nonpartisan, that kind of thing. They obviously have a different feeling about him now because he was a political appointee by the president. Um, he said today, listen, I'm doing everything I can. There's a lot of material, almost 400 pages We've got to vet it for grand jury material and other classified information, but our goal, we're working around the clock, is to get it to you by mid-April. Dianne Feinstein, the senator um, ranking member on judiciary, said, okay, that sounds reasonable. Please try to get it to us by April 15th. He's agreed to come up on the Hill and testify in early May. Um, But the House Democrats are saying, no, that's not acceptable. We still expect it by April 2nd. I mean, he's told them they're not going to get it. So the fight continues, but... You know, everybody has their own prediction about this. I don't think that Barr would have so mischaracterized what Mueller said in his summary. He says it's just a summary um, that it's going to turn out, no, he was hiding collusion all along. And it's actually in the Mueller report. But that seems to be what some people on the Hill are hoping for. It's so maddening to me. I can't imagine being in the politics where you go from respected to reject it just because <laughs> one of your political opponents has appointed you or a political opponent has appointed you. It's just craziness. Yeah, and, well, much of what happens here, as you know, in D.C. is craziness. Well, one of your colleagues, Dana Perino, who I, I appreciate as well, don't know her, said she suggests the president get out of Washington and do what he did last night and be with the people as much as possible right now. And I love that advice. Uh, I don't know if he's taken it. I, I hope he does. And she said, not Mar-a-Lago. You know, go to right. Michigan, go to Iowa, go to places where 
you know, you need to be with those people. And I, I think that's wonderful advice. And uh, I hope he does take it. Any other surprises, any guests tonight we should be looking out for? Uh, well, you know what? Interestingly enough, we are all, we are featuring the lead actress in the movie Unplanned that's opening this weekend. And I, I bet a lot of your um, listeners on your various outlets have heard of this. But it's the story of Abby Johnson, who for years worked in Planned Parenthood. Um, she grew up pretty conservative, but um, really believed in their mission, which she felt was to help women in crisis and women who needed health care. She spent years within the system, became a clinic director, was employee of the year. And then she saw something in abortion that so changed her mind that she had a radical change to the other side. So this movie comes out, and I think regardless of how you feel on abortion, um, you know, she says there are good people on both sides. I'm not trying to demonize anybody. Um, but it's interesting that this movie, which opens this weekend, is rated R, which upset a lot of the people who put this movie together because the fact is in a lot of states, a young woman could go without her parents' permission or assent and go get an abortion, but she couldn't legally go see this movie with a rated R mo- um, rating. Um, you know, so there's that. The lead actress also who plays Abby Johnson in the movie has an incredible backstory of her own. Um, and she is actually from Georgia, a state that has just passed um, a very restrictive abortion bill, basically after there's a heartbeat detected that you can't in many cases have an abortion. So the movie industry is now saying, we're going to boycott Georgia. Well, she's from there. And she says, listen, I want to speak up on all these things. I wasn't especially pro-life before I took this movie. It's probably hurt my career in the long run, but I learned a lot about abortion and how this works. And so, you know, um, people uh, want to talk about what's in the movie and, and whether you should see it. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's an interesting conversation to have, um, although, uh, you know, acknowledging that it's a tough one. It's not something people like to talk about. Yeah, it is a very difficult conversation and yet a very necessary one, in my opinion, her name is Shannon Bream. She's on Fox Monday through Friday nightly, 11 p.m. after my bedtime. <laughs> but uh, I get to hear it again at 3 a.m. And the book, May 14th, unless we get the Attorney General to demand the early release. <laughs> Finding oh, the God. Bright Side, The Art of Chasing What Matters. My friend, I miss you like a front tooth, but I appreciate everything you do. Great to talk with you. And you know I am your biggest fan. Thanks for oh, thank me. you. Thank you. God bless. <laughs> there she goes. The one and only Shannon Bream here on the Buck Sexton Show. I thought, I thought it was only fair since he's been on her show that she should be on this show. My name's Michael Pelk. I'm stepping aside for just a couple of minutes when we get back. Uh, if we have time, I'll play the FCC chairman's uh, comments on what Buck can expect to be done about those pesky robocalls. That's next on the Buck Sexton Show. Michael Pelka in for Buck Sexton tonight on the Buck Sexton Show. Hope you join the conversation. 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. You know, Buck was grousing, really upset about robocalls and the fact they come through our phones. It was bad enough when we were getting them at home, but now they're on our cell phones. So I picked up the phone. I called the FCC. I got the man in charge, Ajit Pai, on the phone, and I said, Sir! What the heck are we doing about robocalls? Oh, my God. This drives me crazy. I get them myself all the time. They typically have the same area code that I've got, and even the next three digits might be the same. 
those are called spoofed robocalls. And the problem is that uh, because of the Internet, this technology to unleash these calls has gotten much, much better. And so it almost doesn't even matter where you are in the world. In fact, most of the robocalls we see come from abroad but seem to be local. So the FCC has taken out the stops to attack this problem. I've demanded that the phone companies adopt what is called call authentication for every single phone call. Essentially, this is a digital fingerprint that would be attached to every call to verify that the call was legitimate. And if the phone call didn't have that fingerprint, then the phone carriers, carriers wouldn't carry that phone call on their networks. And so I told them, we want this implemented this year, and if it's not, the FCC will take regulatory action to ensure that it is. In addition to that, we're also uh, working very hard on the enforcement side. The largest fines in the FCC's 85-year history have been imposed under my leadership over the last two years on robocallers who unleashed millions of robocalls on American consumers. And in addition to that, we're working with other agencies, the Federal Trade Commission, and even uh, agencies abroad in places like India to cooperate on law enforcement to make sure that we can track down and go after these call centers. They're set up for the express purpose of unleashing these robocalls. It's gotten to the point where I get every single day a number of emails from consumers saying, I don't even bother answering the phone anymore because I know that it's more than likely than not a spoofed call and I'm not, I'm sick of it. And I'm sick of it too. And as the chairman, I can tell you that this is the FCC's top consumer protection priority. And we're not going to stop until you can answer that phone with confidence. Well, I would love that. I also asked the FCC chairman if the same rules were going to apply to phone calls from campaigns. And he kind of laughed and said, you know, that's where we're going to have a little bit of a problem because no politician wants to write a law that's going to preclude them from robocalling us during an election year. So more on that. Stay tuned for more on that. Michael Pelka in for Buck Sexton. We still have another hour and we're going to talk about cars and what they're trying to do to your car to control it. That's just around the corner. Come on back. Well, it's not Buck. It's Michael Pelka in for Buck. Buck is uh, out for today. Good for him. He's been working hard down at the border and he's still dealing with the uh, agita over the robocall. So we just talked to the FCC chair about that the commissioner hopefully we'll get that settled hopefully they'll straighten straighten out for us in the near future i was just reading and i need to get back into the fcc chief's head because he was saying that they they've charged all these fines they've hit all these people up with these big fines but it looks like they're not collecting them so you can send out all the fines you want sir but let's get that money in there maybe they'll Lean on them a little bit. By the way, last hour of the show, if you want to join the conversation, happy to get into just about anything. I want to talk about uh, the Electoral College because I'm reading something that makes me a little upset. The phone lines are open. 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. I live in a state that has uh, more cows than people, I think, Delaware. And we're not exactly a big cattle state. There's only three counties in the whole state. One of them is deep red. One is deep blue. And that's the highest population. So it always votes out the rest of us. And the other one's kind of purplish. But here in Delaware, we we have but three electoral votes. And our state has now 
join this group of states that pledges to give all of the electoral votes to whichever state gets the or to whichever candidate gets the popular vote. I, I, I just don't understand how people are not standing up and screaming about this, how people aren't saying no. Well, now uh, Democratic Senator Jeff Merkley introduced a uh, bill to totally eliminate the Electoral College. He wants it gone. He wants it out. Says, got to get rid of it. Really? You're the, weren't you the guy that co-sponsored the Green New Deal and then voted against it? You're one of the, one of the people who couldn't even support your Green New Deal. Is the same thing going to happen here? We're going to try and get a hold of uh, Hans von Spakovsky of the Heritage Foundation to talk about the Electoral College. I'm, I'm a huge fan of the Electoral College because uh, what it does is really create fairness among the states in our union. And the Democrats are out there crowing. Elizabeth Warren's out there saying we must abolish it. We must abolish the Electoral College and that way every vote will be counted. It's all about fairness. Yes. And there's a county in California. I think it's Los Angeles County that has more people than 10 states. So that one county, if you just visit that county and get that county vote, you can effectively annihilate the votes in 10 states. So I'm not a fan of eliminating the Electoral College. I think the founders knew exactly what they were doing and they were keeping they, they weren't looking to the future and saying, well, candidates will only go to five states if this happens. Yeah, you make California, New York, Texas, Florida, and Illinois a lot more important. So I'm a big fan of the Electoral College, and I'm, I'm not going to sit by quietly. I don't think it can be eliminated so easily. But, you know, this whole cry for fairness that comes out of the, the Democrats and the progressives, it's never fair. If they're telling you it's in the interest of fairness, then where were they? Where were they for the last couple hundred years? If you didn't think the Electoral College was fair, why didn't you raise your hand in 2016 and say, we just can't have this Electoral College? It's not going to be fair. Somebody like Donald Trump won't win. Uh, You know, the duplicitous nature of the people on the left side of the aisle never ceases to amaze me. Never ceases to amaze me. So maybe uh, around the corner we'll get get, uh, some word from the Heritage Foundation. I think Hans will weigh in on this. He's a great legal mind on stuff like this. Uh, Joe Biden said something stupid this week. Oh, really? What a shock. Yeah, And, and he also has been saying stupid things for years, for decades, in fact. A videotape unearthed when 29-year-old Biden was on uh, public television showed up. And he's kind of saying dumb things. No shock. Joe Biden has a decades-long history of saying dumb things. But this one I have to just share with you because it just makes me laugh. The thing is, I didn't have many larger contributors. And the only reason, see, I went to the big guys for the money. I was ready to prostitute myself. And the men- Wait, what? Joe Biden was What? He's, he's, of course, he's talking about donors, but he puts it in interesting Joe Biden language. The thing is, I didn't have many larger contributors. And the only reason, see, I went to the big guys for the money. 
I was ready to prostitute myself in the, man the manner in which I talk about it. But what happened was they said, come back when you're 40, son. And so I had to go out. This 29-year-old Joe Biden looks like, if you guys know the old TV show Taxi, he looks like Andy Kaufman's character of Latka Gravis. They're almost separated at birth. But Biden, trying to make himself sound like the young, the young Turk, if I can use that expression with Joe Biden. Oh, yeah, he's a progressive. Joe Biden trying to make himself sound like the young kid in the Senate, even though he had aspirations for higher office, which, thank God, he's never gotten to the presidency. He got close, but never got there. Uh, he said some things that also turned out to be a little offensive. We'll let him go here. Well, I had to go to a number of small contributors. Well, I, we, I think we're all grateful, Senator. You didn't take no for an answer. <laughs> So more but, but from aren't you a here you go. Example of, I am of, an anachronism. Wait. I am a 29 year old oddball. The only reason I was able to raise the money is I was able to have a national constituency to run for office because I was 29. I'm like the token black or the token woman. I was the token young person. The token young person. Joe Biden comparing himself to a token black and a token woman. Very interesting. And his comments about Clarence Thomas surfaced, too. And now Joe Biden getting set to announce here in Delaware, the, the word on the street, the skinny on the street in Delaware is that uh, Joe Biden's going to announce uh, next week, because if he announced before April 1, he'd have to file his election papers and we'd have to see how much money he raised and he wouldn't have time to raise money to compete with Bernie or Beto or any of them, and that makes you look weak. That makes you look weak. Speaking of the Electoral College, Andrew is in Virginia and calling into the Buck Sexton Show. Andrew has a question about this. Welcome to the program, sir. Hey, how's it going? So um, it's interesting that Delaware is saying, saying um, we're against the Electoral College. So they're trying to nullify. It just seems to me, I just heard about this, that it's trying to nullify the Electoral College by saying, well, all our electoral votes will go to whoever wins the popular election. Yeah. Uh, the interesting thing is they're shooting themselves in the foot because the Electoral College is what gives, which is what increases the autonomy of each state. So as a smaller state, for them to basically try to dissolve the Electoral College, they're eventually going to dissolve one of their electoral votes. You're absolutely 100% correct. Any small state that joins in this movement to invalidate or eliminate the Electoral College is really following party line instruction. And Delaware's very blue. Like I said, they, the uh, three counties here, the one that has so many people is pure, deep, deep blue. It's the one that gave us Chris Coons. It's, it's giving us fits here as conservatives, as small government people. And in this case, Andrew, you're 100% right. That's why most of the states you're seeing who are moving to eliminate the Electoral College are blue states. They are states that say, fairness, we wanted Hillary, and they don't realize that it's such a foolish mission. It's absolutely insane. Now, Andrew, can I ask you a question? Okay. Are you in the hospital? I hear that beeping. It sounds like some kind of uh, monitor. I may be. <laughs> Are you okay? Yes, I am. Okay, good. Good. <laughs> That's a very vague, I may be, but uh, astute observation that any state 
wants to uh, jump on this bandwagon of uh, the elimination of the Electoral College is really, especially if it's a small state, it's eliminating itself. Now, if we look at the popular vote from 2016, uh, Hillary won by, what was it, 3 million votes? Everybody says this is massive win. Well, if you take out New York and California, if you eliminate those two states where she had massive popular vote wins, Donald Trump wins the popular vote count. So uh, it was really a great example of why the Electoral College is important because only two states would have swayed that election, and that's not fair to the other 48. Andrew, thank you for joining the conversation tonight. Appreciate it. Once again, proving the Buck Sexton audience smart on it. And yeah, I I realize how stupid my state is. It, It really is foolish. Michael Pelka, checking out for just a couple of minutes on the Buck Sexton Show. Michael Pelka sitting in for Buck Sexton tonight on the Buck Sexton Show. Still time to join the conversation. 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. We're talking about the Electoral College. Hans von Spakovsky of the Heritage Foundation on the phone, talking to him over the break about, you know, Hans, could, could we really have the Electoral College in danger? Is it really at risk of being eliminated? Well, I'll tell you, I hope not. And uh, I, I, I certainly hope that's not the case. And the reason being that the original reason that the framers of the Constitution decided to use the Electoral College rather than a national popular vote, which is what the Democrats were all, and liberals were all pushing for, is just as true today. It, uh, the, the reason for it is just as, as, as true today as it was then, in fact, probably more so. And the reason being very simple. They said, look, if, if, if a president is elected by national popular vote, we're afraid that presidential candidates will just go to the big cities. They'll just go to the urban areas, and they will ignore the rest of the country. They will ignore the more rural areas, the, the places with smaller populations. Um, and that's just as true today. You know, under the Electoral College system, um, the smallest states, you know, places like Montana and elsewhere, uh, with small populations, they still get uh, three electoral college votes, no matter how small their population is. And what that means is that a president can win office uh, by basically gathering up those electoral college votes from the, the rest of the country. You know, what, what liberals like to refer to as flyover country. And anybody who doubts that, just look at the last presidential election. You know, Hillary Clinton's votes came from the big urban areas, the big cities, you know, New York, Los Angeles, uh, Chicago, the whole rest of the country, almost all of the counties across the country voted for uh, uh, Donald Trump. Yeah. And if you look at New York State and California and you eliminate just the imbalance in votes between Clinton and Trump in, in those two states, Donald Trump wins the rest of the popular vote. So 48, if you took only the popular vote from 48 states, it's a, a Trump whitewash of Hillary Clinton, and it's amazing. But here's my question. Uh, we're talking to uh, Heritage Foundation's Hans von Spakovsky today about the Electoral College. There are now 12 states that have said 
through various actions that they will give their electoral votes to whomever, whichever states win the popular vote uh, or to the candidate that wins the popular vote. Um, is that is that legit? Can they do that? Is it bypassing the intent of the Constitution? Yeah, it, and it's not legit. Uh, the people behind that movement, they call it the National Popular Vote Plan, um, they claim that as soon as a uh, sufficient number of states who represent 270 electoral college votes, and that's how much you need to, to win the presidency, as soon as enough state legislatures have passed it to represent that many votes, then that plan will go into effect. And in essence, those states have passed bills that say that they won't award their electoral college votes to the candidate who gets the most votes in their state. Uh, they're going to uh, give it to whoever wins the national popular vote, basically ignoring what the constituents of their state uh, have said and how they voted. But here's the problem with that. There's a provision in the U.S. Constitution that says that state compacts, in other words, agreements between states, have to be approved by the U.S. Congress. The people behind this bill say, oh, no, no, that doesn't apply to this particular national popular vote compact, but, but they're wrong. So what's going to happen is if enough states pass this, the states who haven't passed it, uh, places probably like Texas and elsewhere, uh, they're going to go to court, it's going to end up before the U.S. Supreme Court, and those states are going to say, uh, this compact, uh, this national popular vote plan, uh, is illegal, it's unconstitutional because they didn't get the approval of Congress. Okay, so based on what you've shared with us, it looks like we're not at the 270 vote threshold, which this group thinks is enough to to make their plan work. And even right. if they get to 270, this will end up in the courts because the states that don't want themselves to be made insignificant will attempt to stop it. And then it usually ends up all the way at the Supreme Court. And currently, based on the the five to four conservative to liberal lean of the Supreme Court, one would assume the the court would side with the Constitution on this and not with a move towards the uh popular vote. Do you think that's the best breakdown of that? Yeah, I think that's the best read of the situation. By, by the way, people should also realize that um, the framers of the Constitution wanted somebody running for president. They didn't want them winning a national election. They wanted them to um, basically have to campaign in and win a series of regional elections. And that's the way our system works. Why? Because again, it, they thought that would uh, uh, elect somebody to the presidency that had the broadest support of the American people. That's fantastic. Terrific, Hans. Hans, we love the work that you guys do at the Heritage Foundation, and we appreciate you taking time to join us here and explain this. I, I, I'm comforted now that the Electoral College is still safe, at least in my lifetime, it feels. I, I hope so, too. Thank you, sir. Have a great day. Thank you. And there he goes, Hans von Spakovsky from the Heritage Foundation. We get wonky here, even on Friday nights. But we're going to talk more about Big Brother controlling your car. Coming up next on the Buck Sexton Show. Come on back. 
Mike Opelka holding the line for Buck Sexton, holding the line for America. Buck's got a night off. I'm here to cover the uh, the Freedom Hut, as it were, from the constitutionally protected free speech bunker here in the woods of Delaware. Bob's on the line from New York. Bob, you had a comment. Uh, we we're talking about the Electoral College. You want to put a button on this segment? Yes, I, I do. I do, Mike. Also, before I get to my point, I just wanted to say that uh, I know you were involved with the Beat of New York WKTU back in the 80s. <laughs> and uh, so, so many memories. I was uh, growing up in New York at the time, and I used to listen to that radio station so much. And I remember uh, remember the uh, Saturday Night Live, the Saturday Night D- D- Mix that you had with uh, Ted Currier. Oh, yeah, a long time ago. We had a lot of great DJs on there. The Riddler, we had uh, MC, uh, I forget all of the MCs. But yeah, it was a great time in New York to be in the dance world and dance music. And and it's still, still a lot of great people there. Ted, Ted was the king of the studio mix, man. Everyone, I, I, was, I was part of the New York uh, record pool, so I became a DJ because of listening to uh, WKTU and to the extent you had anything to do with the programming. You inspired me to be a uh, DJ when I was going through uh, college and graduate school, wow. and now I still do it as a hobby. But anyway. I, I got to chill, I Bob. I was the assistant program director for a better part of half a decade at KTU, so thank you, sir. It was a phenomenal station. It's no longer the Beat of New York, but it was back, definitely back then. But mm. my, my point was, uh, you, you mentioned how if you took New York and California out of the popular vote equation, I would actually be even more precise. If you took five counties in the entire country out of the popular vote equation, Trump would have won the 2016 election by the popular vote. Those five counties being, as you probably know, Manhattan, the Bronx, Brooklyn, Queens, and L.A. County. Yep. And, and that so alone tells you why we need the Electoral College so that the whole country can be represented and not just five counties. Bob, astute observations, and thank you for the flashback to my my old life in the wacky world of dance music and morning radio. Appreciate you, sir. Have a great weekend. Quick check in with uh, uh, Lewis in Maryland. Lewis, uh, you are a naval vet, sir. Thank you for your service. Welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. What's on your mind, sir? Well, a little over two years ago, uh, I joined that, uh, well, that, that, Publishers Clearinghouse, PCH, we bought some stuff from them. And then I started getting all these robocalls, and I called them up, and the young lady answered the phone. I said, did you give my number away? And she says, well, what about it? And I said, well, I'm getting all these calls since I signed up with you. And uh, she says, well, you didn't notify us not to. And I said, well, you should have never gave my number out. So in the meantime, after that, my wife had a stroke, and it affected her quite a bit. Mm. And I got all these calls from Jamaica continuously. And I started, I called, uh, I, I mark, started marking down the numbers uh, that they were calling from, and it was 70, over 70, nearly 75 different numbers, and I stopped writing. So I called Verizon, and Verizon says, I asked them, could they stop it? And they said, no, we can block three calls. I said, but I've got nearly 75 numbers here. And and they said, just hang up. And then uh, I called uh, the Jamaican embassy, and I explained to them the way I'm telling you that my wife 
had a stroke and we're not a doctor's care and because I've had the same number for 73 years ever since I've been married wow and they said uh, uh, we'll see what we can do and but they didn't do anything and then well, Lewis, the girls, like, they, I, Lewis I'm, I, I'm, I'm up against they're the, holding three million dollar package for me and all of this yeah, I, Lewis, hang on one second, sir. I'm up against a time crush. I will pledge to you, sir, as a, a tribute to your service to this country and your dedication to your wife to pressure the FCC chairman about this to hopefully get rid of these robocalls. In the meantime, sir, as the son of a Navy veteran who served probably in the same area you did, thank you for your service, sir, and God bless you. Uh, I mentioned earlier I'm not a fan of big government getting into our lives and an intrusion is coming into our lives in the automobile world. I kind of figured this out just recently. So I'm filling up my wife's car and I'm noticing the gas prices are creeping up and I'm thinking, is it the springtime thing or is it the gas tax thing? And then I read that story about what the European Union's planning on doing with Big Brother in our cars. And I said, I got to talk to my pal, Lauren Fix, the car coach. If you know her, you know what I'm talking about. Lauren Fix is my go-to person on information on cars and what's happening to cars via the government. So if you don't know her, you should. Let's uh, let's see. Are you here, Lauren Fix, the I, car coach? I am here. I'm I'm smiling and thanking you very much for the kind words. Well, I you are my go-to when I need to know. Okay, what's the hot new car coming out? Or if I need to know why are cars doing this? You're the person mm-hmm. I look to to rant with or mm-hmm. uh, smile with. But you you just get to get into all the great cars, but you also study stuff. So. Right. Gas prices going up. Is it because of the change of spring fuels or what? Yeah, this is actually what President Obama is trying to stop. They're doing this ethanol swap. So basically, they'll say, oh, we have a different blend for the winter gas and the summer gas. That was probably a good idea in 1960, maybe even in 1980. But here we are in almost 2020. I hate to be saying that, but there, gas is so different now. This same fuel they use any time of year, you can use any time of year. There's no changing the gasoline blends. And they do it because it was regulated a long time ago. And these are the type of regulations that cost you and I money at the pump. Because while they're switching from, as they're calling, winter gas to summer gas, which has the same detergents in it, but a slightly different mix, what happens is you're paying more money while they're getting the new uh, fuel in the pipeline. So it doesn't impact diesel as much as it does gasoline, but it's definitely something that you'll see soften up in the next couple of weeks. Did you mean you thought President Trump was doing it, not President Obama? Well, no, no, no. The, the current administration is trying to stop it. But the past administration of Obama did absolutely nothing. Oh. And every administration has been well aware of this and they address it randomly. But it's whoever's in charge of this particular regulation should be saying, why are we doing this? This is costing consumers extra money. Wouldn't it be nice to actually think about us, those that vote people in, to lower gasoline prices because it's for the good of the economy? But the problem is it's a strategic move in many cases. So, you know, it depends who's in office. It depends who's running the department. There's a lot of politics involved. Well, that's what I call politics, I guess. Yeah. So, 
So I hope that President Trump does eliminate that. He's looking at removing the EV tax credits. He's looking at stop giving, stopping giving money to uh, car manufacturers to make cars more fuel efficient. They make money. It's called profit. And that profit they're supposed to use to go back into research and development, which is deductible. Why are we giving them more money? Okay. Still our tax dollars. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, 100% with you on that. But gas taxes are also being looked at mm-hmm. to be raised. Now, state, federal, who's looking to raise the gas taxes? Well, each state already charges a certain amount of taxes. And the highest, believe it or not, state is Pennsylvania, where you're looking, you'd think it would be like Alaska where it might be lower. So every state has their own tax. That money goes into the state coffers. Now, what about on a federal level? There's federal tax on top. It's currently 18 cents. So if you had no state tax on your gasoline per gallon, you still have 18% on the feds. And that money's supposed to go into a fund. That fund is supposed to take care of roads and bridges on international, interstate, uh, anything that goes across countries, across the state. So what's happened is, is some I love these Friday night deals, you know, we'll make a Friday night deal. And now a third of that money is not going into roads and bridges, as we can tell by looking at the potholes and roads and bridges. It goes into the rail stations and the potential for light rail. So it's not even being used for the roads and bridges, even though that's what they're being taxed. But on top of that, more electric vehicles, better fuel efficient cars, more hybrid type cars, less gasoline being used. So what happens, there's less taxes coming into the fund. So now they're realizing, how are we going to repair these roads and bridges? Well, some genius in Washington's got a great idea. We're going to raise, this is their idea, we're going to raise the taxes, the federal gas tax, to 42 cents a gallon. Wait, from what, 18 or something? From 18 to 42. I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Who's putting this up? And when you start, of course, I have to say this, but it happens to be the Democrats. They think that we need more money for roads and bridges. And the first thing is, yes, everybody agrees. The roads and bridges are horrible in every state. So we need money. Yes, that makes sense. You need money. Instead of saving money, instead of shrimp on treadmills and all the silly things that they do, you know, why cats don't like snow and they put, you know, $500,000 into that, uh, they should take this money and leave it in the roads and bridges. So states should make the choices not the federal government. So what's happening now is the federal government wants to control it all. The states don't want to give up their money. And so they have to give a portion of that money to the feds anyhow for any interstate that crosses between two states. Hmm. So it's intrastate. There's a lot there's a lot of politics involved. But the bottom line is raising your gas taxes because they don't have enough money coming in is their thoughts. But wait, you say, well, now I'm going to go buy an electric vehicle. Makes sense, right? I'm going to hybrid the heck with them. I'm not going to buy as much gasoline. Well, don't worry. They've got you too. Every electric vehicle and hybrid is going to pay an extra $100 a year. And you're also going to pay a buy the mileage tax. So we're going to pay a road use tax like trucks do. Exactly. So if you add that up, it's going to be well over 42 cents a gallon. And if you're thinking I've got an EV and it's a smarter choice, you're still going to get nailed. So what are they going to do with all this money? Well, you and I know it'll go into one gigantic pot. A lot of it ends up in the general fund and it's supposed to be split two thirds for roads and bridges, one third for trains and light rail. And we know what's going to happen. That doesn't happen. It ends up going you know, to someone getting a private plane or someone would like to have a golden toilet. And, and the problem is that this this expense for the wrong thing is what infuriates me. If they use the actual money they had, and there's quite a bit of it into the billions, they could fix the roads and bridges, but they're not. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so if I'm not angry enough at that, 
Volvo and uh, the European Union have made an announcement about limiting speed, and I, oh. I'm just furious about this. Can this come here? What What's the deal behind oh, it? Oh, yeah. It's already coming here. Volvo's going to start putting speed limiters on their vehicles. Uh, so think about this. There are speed limiters already on big trucks. They don't want them to go so fast. You can only go so fast with a big truck anyhow. I used to drive a, a truck for a while. We haul our race cars. But I will tell you that you can only go so fast because otherwise the, we say the tail wags the dog. The trailer starts to sway, and you don't want to be doing that. And it's also very dangerous. So truck drivers that are perfect, they are professional drivers without a question they know you know there's a certain limit well they have limiters on their trucks and they're already being tracked and so now by by whoever owns their truck now they want to do that same type of thing to cars and they're doing it in china and in europe as of 2022 so every vehicle produced by 2022 will have a limiter on it so that means you can't go over the speed limit, not even one mile an hour over the speed limit. It will not let you because it's going to be based on GPS information. So if the speed limit is now 50, you're doing 50, which means you're a road hazard everyone around you who might be doing 55. If you're slowing down traffic, someone might pass you. You still won't be able to go faster. And they're also going to put into that anyone that's in a crosswalk, if it thinks something's in a crosswalk, it will actually stop the vehicle because it's going to make the assumption it's a human where it could be anything. Wow. And no mm -hmm. co no coincidence that Volvo was bought by China and China wants all those cars to be electric vehicles now reporting back to them so they can mm -hmm. add their speeding or whatever to their social credit score. Hmm. Oh, I got one more thing for you to go with Geely, who owns Volvo. And I do love their cars, but I have to say the owner of Geely is the president of china's brother oh gee well who, whoever that saw that coming yeah <laughs> yeah well everyone's related if you're making any money out there in, in the world of china so yeah but think about this they're reporting on the back now you know a lot about these social credit scores and you and i have both ranted about them and if they they're starting to do that here you know so go ahead if you want to tell them what social credit scores are. I know you've been researching Oh, we've, we've talked about it ad nauseum, the social credit scores, well known to this audience, but it still makes me angry. And now on a Friday evening, I'm doubly angry. <laughs> Thank you, Lauren Fix the Car Coach. Where do we find you online? You can find me at carcoachreports.com. Follow me on all forms of social media at Lauren Fix. And I just posted my four-minute Friday so you can watch me rant about social credit scores. Cool. Thank you, my friend. All right. Thank you. And there she goes. Lauren Fix, the car coach, with information that infuriates me to the point where I need to take a break. Michael Pelka here, wrapping up the Buck Sexton Show. We'll be right back. Michael Pelka in for Buck Sexton tonight. Uh, before we get out of here, I was listening to AOC the other night, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and she said something that made my ears prick up. One year ago, I was waitressing in a taco shop in downtown Manhattan. I just got health insurance for the first time a month ago. So did you or did you not violate the law that demanded you have health insurance? I want to know, was she breaking the law before her, her job in Congress gave her health care? Somebody in the media should ask that. Uh, I've got time for a real quick phone call. John is in Austin, Texas, and I always worry about people in Austin, especially if they're conservatives because they're surrounded. John, you got about 30 seconds. Can you bring your message home that quickly? 
Yeah, I think we need to bring the family back. I think that's what we need to focus on if we do tax reform where stay-at-home parents who take care of children get the same deduction as when you do when uh, you go through a daycare. I, I agree. In this country. I think you're right, and I you can't go wrong with focusing on the family, John. God bless you and yours, and thank you for listening to this show. We appreciate you. Have a great weekend, sir. I can't believe, I can't believe we're already up against it. And uh, I, I barely got any time. I didn't get to tell you about the gig. If you want to you wanna make 65 grand for four months, you have to eat vegan food around the world. There's trade-offs to everything, people. I didn't get to tell you about the funniest vanity plates that California has rejected. Did you, did you know there were 200 words for, the, for poop in different languages and California has to look out for all of them? Have a great weekend. And as always, testudo, my friends. Testudo.